Thanks for coming out today. And uh, we're starting a new series uh, on the Ten Commandments today. So good week to be here as we kick off this new series. Uh, We're going to be in Exodus chapter 20 in just a bit. You can turn there. Uh, For PowerPoint purposes, I'm not going to get to that PowerPoint for a little bit, so don't worry about trying to keep with me initially. Uh, I want to lay some foundation before we get into this series and look at the specifics of the Ten Commandments. Uh, I feel like it's really important as we begin this series to start with a foundation of understanding uh, of the significance of these commandments, but also uh, a significance of why God gave them and what all of that means Um, I want you to think back for a minute with me to when you were a child and think back to some of the rules that your parents maybe had for you growing up or maybe some of the things that your parents told you or taught you out of great care for you as a kid growing up. I jotted down uh, a bunch of them as I was thinking through some of the rules or some of the instruction that my parents gave me. Um, How about this one? Look both ways before you run into the street. Uh, Don't cross the road. Actually, don't run into the street. But but if you're going to go into the street, look both ways before that. Don't run into the street. And even though they would tell us that over and over and over again, a lot of times there was a tendency just to do it anyways. Maybe I'm the only one, but we still had to be told that over and over again. Don't run into the street. Don't run with a knife in your hand. Have you ever been told that when you were a kid? Don't run with a knife in your hand. First question, obviously, what do you have a knife in your hand for if you're a kid? Uh, shouldn't have that. But if you do, if you happen to have that knife in your hand, don't run with a knife in your hand. Or how about this one? Don't run with scissors. How many of you have ever told that before? If you're cutting things, you know, you don't run with scissors. Don't run into the street. Don't run with a knife in your hand. Don't run with scissors. Basically, what we were taught from a very young age is don't run, right? Um, I'm kidding. Don't touch the hot oven. Or the burner when it's hot. Um, we have a, an oven that actually has a light on the top of it that if one of the burners is still hot, it will like say hot surface. And it's like a little red light that remains on until the burners are, are not hot any longer. But we tell kids, you know, don't touch the hot oven. Just the other day, my wife was cooking something in the oven and we opened the oven door and my youngest, Leah, came running over like she wanted to see. And we had to tell her, honey, don't get too close to the oven because it's, it's hot. Uh, don't play with electronics in the bathtub. <laughs> Corded things, right? Things that plug in. Don't put those in the bathtub. Maybe you remember that as a kid. Uh, it's good advice still as an adult. Don't get too close to the fire. Uh, it seems like without fail, if we have a fire at our house and the kids are around, I have to remind them, and maybe you do this as a parent again and again, hey, don't get too close to the fire because the fire's hot. Like, that should go without saying, but we still got to remind kids, don't get too close to the fire. Don't stick your toys or push them into the electrical outlets. Like, little outlets, right? But try to, like, shove things in there. Don't stick things into the electrical outlets. Don't walk too close to the lawnmower. <laughs> like, still, I have a, a lawn tractor or push mower, and I'm out there, and the kids want to come running over to talk to me or tell me something. It's like the lawnmower doesn't even exist. Like, they want to come right up to my face to talk to me. And I'm like, stay back. And I tell my kids, like, to put the fear of the lawnmower. I'm like, this will cut your legs right off. Like, I let them know that. And, uh, and tell them, but don't get too close to the lawnmower. We can go on and on. All of these instructions we had as kids about things that seem pretty simple and pretty basic, but we needed to know these so that we would not die, right? We needed to be told these things by our parents because 
if left to ourselves from the time we were very young, we would utterly destroy our bodies as kids because we had no knowledge, no wisdom, no understanding. And so you would think it would go without saying that if there are fast-moving cars on the road, you don't run in front of a car. You would think it would go without saying that if there's this flaming fire, that it doesn't make sense to go over it and touch it. You would think it would make sense that you wouldn't want to go over to the electrical outlets and shove metal things into it, or that you wouldn't want to have a knife and go running around with a knife in your hand because you could hurt someone or hurt yourself. But we needed these instructions because as kids, and really as adults, sometimes we can tend to be foolish or not think And left to ourselves without these instructions, we would just be completely ruined. In many ways, that is the thinking and understanding, even when it comes to the law that God would give to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. We're going to read through the Ten Commandments here in just a bit, and you're going to listen to these Ten Commandments, and you're going to think through them, and you think, man, these things aren't like that that difficult to process that we shouldn't do these things, and yet it needed to be said. It needed to be said. It needed to have this instruction from God coming from Almighty God with authority and power giving these commandments to the nation of Israel, to the people of God, because if God didn't say it and he didn't give it, left to themselves, they would be utterly destroyed. But here's what's crazy about this, is that not only did God give these instructions because he wanted them to be set apart and he wanted the nation of Israel to know him and follow him and obey him, But the law was also given, we're going to see, to reveal the reality that no one was capable of fully keeping it. And that we had a need, as every human being has a need, for a savior. For someone who could pay the penalty for our shortcomings in keeping the law. And I think it's foundational that we begin with an understanding of these Ten Commandments and all that goes with it, and also see it through the lens of the teaching of Scripture and the teaching of Jesus as it comes to the law and it comes to the Ten Commandments. One pastor said this about the Ten Commandments. He said, The Ten Commandments are a summation of all moral and ethical laws which God has given, all of which have to do with one's relationship to God or with one's relationship to mankind. The law of God was condensed into Ten Commandments, It was then further condensed to the first great commandment and the second great commandment that we'll talk about in just a moment. These two then are a summation of the ten. The first half relate to loving God. The second half relate to loving our neighbor. Let me explain what this pastor was saying. In the Old Testament law, there is said to be 613 Old Testament laws. 613. Now, We list the 10 and 10 commandments and people are like, that's so many to keep 613 Old Testament laws that in essence were summarized into 10 in regards to one's relationship with God and one's relationship to others, summarized into 10. Nine of the 10 that were given in 10 commandments are moral laws. The one exception being to keep the Sabbath, which happens to be the only one of the 10 not specifically repeated in the New Testament to be kept by the church, but the other nine are. 613. Now, let me just make something clear. If you have 613 Old Testament laws, trying to remember them, let alone keep them, would be a task. Just trying to remember those suckers would be difficult, right? Uh, Have you ever had a conversation with someone and someone's trying to explain to you something that happened and they're giving all kinds of great detail and it's taking an awful long time to land the plane to tell you what's going on. And have you ever made the statement like, hey, just tell me what I need to know. 
Just summarize it for me. If you ever had to read a book, I'm not recommending this if you're in school or in college, but Cliff Notes, like, tell you exactly what you need to know about a book that you need to read. And I remember when I was in school, they would ask us if we read the book, and they specifically, teachers were really smart, and they still are. If you're a teacher, you're so smart. And you would, they would ask, did you read the book in its entirety? And the reason that had to be asked, and kids could lie, but the reason they asked it was because they knew if that wasn't asked, kids could pick up cliff notes and just read like the summarization of what the book was and be able to give a pretty good synopsis of what happened in the book. Well, 613 Old Testament laws, trying to memorize, remember all of those, let alone keep all of those, would be quite a task. And so here, what God does with the Ten Commandments, is he basically gives a summation of of all of the Old Testament moral laws, and he puts them into these nine, ten total, but nine having to do with moral law, and he gives it to the nation of Israel as something they would remember and something that they should keep. Now, it would have been impossible for any human being to keep all 613 Old Testament laws. Uh, Just impossible. I mean, think about you and I, even as citizens of the United States of America in keeping the laws of the land. I mean, think about even keeping the laws that we know to be laws that we're very clear on, like a speed limit, for example. How many of you are sinners because you went past the speed limits? We have this app on our phones that is called Life360, and and Life360 allows you to see Uh, Because one of our daughters has a phone, and it allows you to see, like, where they're at at all times. Don't tell her in case she doesn't know. And and, and you can see where they're at, and you can see where they've been, and you can see how long they've been there. And so I always joke with my wife, because she'll be driving, and it will tell me, like, hey, she's at such and such. And I'll look at how fast she went. And I'll be like, ah, 55 today, huh? You know, and just kind of let her know how fast she was going in in certain speed zones and things like that, because that's fun. But we don't even keep that, right? We're, We're guilty, When it comes to the Old Testament law, 613, we don't keep that. We were incapable. But do you realize that we would even be incapable of keeping even just the 10? Just the 10. No one could keep. And we're going to see that in just a moment. And so the reality is we couldn't keep the 613, nor could they. We couldn't keep the 10, nor could they. And to be honest with you, we're going to look at the very first commandment today. And we're going to come to a realization, I believe, that we're even guilty of not being able to keep just the first at all times, and in all situations in our lives. And so what the law did was the law revealed and magnified the absolute necessity that was present for sinful man and sinful woman to have a Savior, to have forgiveness of sin because we couldn't keep the law. One pastor said the reason the law can't be obeyed is that human beings have sinful desires that overrule our desire to obey God. Our hearts are often inclined to seek the fulfillment of other desires besides the desire to please God. We understand this from a very young age. Have you ever been told from the time you were a kid, even now as an adult, that you weren't allowed to do something? Have you ever been told that? Have you ever been told you're not allowed to do something, and then what was the only thing on your mind that you wanted to do when you were told you couldn't do it? It was to do that thing, right? Uh, we see this with kids. We see this when we were kids. We see this all throughout. If you're somewhere, if you're, if you're at something and you're like, hey, you can go anywhere you want, but don't go in that room. What is your mind going to be occupied with? I got to get in that room. I don't know what's in there, but I got to get in there. Or if we tell our kids, you know, I was talking to someone the other day. I don't remember who it was. But I was talking to someone the other day, and they were mentioning that they were talking, the, the husband and wife, they were talking about something, and the kids weren't supposed to know what they were talking about, and so they were in the room talking, and they opened the door, and their kids like, were like right up against the door listening, trying to listen into what was being talked about. 
It's like human nature, isn't it? That when we're told we can't have something, that we want it and we're going to go after it. How about Adam and Eve in the garden? God telling Adam and Eve, you can eat of all of the trees of the garden, of the fruit of all of the trees in the garden, except for one. And which one would they go after? The one they were not permitted to have, right? It's human nature. You see, the reason we could not fully obey all of the commands of God is because we desire what we desire. And apart from Christ, we every time will fail. We're incapable of fully keeping the righteous commands of God. We can't do it because our hearts are inclined towards evil. Jesus is speaking in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 27, to a a young man that asked him a very important question. I want you to listen to this in Mark 10, verse 17. As he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I wonder this morning, just for pause for a minute, if someone came up to you today and they're like, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Here we are, post-Jesus going to the cross, post-resurrection of Christ. The gospel has been given and has been completed and has been called for us to share. So I hope you would know how to answer if someone came to you and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the biblical answer to this, the simple answer is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You can be forgiven of your sin." That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be forgiven, right? This is what the Bible teaches us. But Jesus is asked here, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this is what Jesus said to this young man. Why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. Interestingly enough, the man is about to answer the question that Jesus, or Jesus is going to answer this young man's question by saying, here's what you need to do to inherit eternal life. He says, you know the commandments, verse 19, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Jesus lists the commandments that specifically are in reference to our relationship to others that we'll see as we're in this series. And the man said to Jesus, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. So I want you to process what's going on here for a minute. And Jesus just is absolutely marvelous at knowing already what people are thinking before they even ask it, knowing where he wants to go, which is amazing. He's God, right? So he's able to do that. But this rich young man comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He calls him good teacher. And what does Jesus begin with? Why do you call me good? There's none good. Now, Jesus was good. Jesus wasn't indicting himself to say that I'm not good. That's not what he said. He said there's none good except for one. But in essence, what is he telling this young man as he comes to him? You're not good, right? He says there's none good. Why do you call me good? There's none good. No one is good. No one is perfect. No one is holy. No one is what God would consider to be good. We all have a problem. But right after telling this young man, I don't even know why you call me good because no one's good, the young man answers Jesus and basically says, I'm good. I've done everything. I've kept all of the commands from my youth, which would be an impossibility. He couldn't do it. Jesus knew this. It says, verse 21, Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Who then can be saved? 
Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. In this passage, Jesus does not even debate with the reality that this young man said he kept all from his youth. He couldn't have. He was guilty, as everyone is guilty, of falling short of the glory of God. But he moves directly to the man's heart. And this man, like all others, like you and I, had a sin problem. He, just like all others, would be relying on their own obedience to get to heaven. And he would be greatly disappointed. And I want to share with you today, if you're here and you are relying on your goodness or your obedience to God to get you to heaven, you will be greatly disappointed because the word of God tells us that we are not justified by the works of the law, by what we do. We do not have favor with God because of our works. We can't earn favor with God by what we do. And that's what this man was saying to Jesus, basically. How do I get eternal life? Jesus said, keep all the commandments. I've done all that from the time I was young. He hadn't because there's no one good. And Jesus would have him walk away sorrowful because he recognized his heart and he recognized what he was not willing or capable of doing. He had a sin problem. Paul speaks about this in Galatians chapter 3, 10 to 14, where he says, All who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. This is what Paul's saying here. He's saying that the law was given, the commands were given, and if you were able to perfectly keep all of the commands, if you were to able to perfectly keep it, you could be justified in the sight of God, but no one is capable of doing that. And that's why God even gave the law, was to show that we were incapable of fully keeping it. Over 600 commands. 600 that we were incapable and they were incapable of keeping. It is evident, Paul said, no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not a faith. The one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying that although no one was capable of perfectly keeping the law, although that was an impossibility for man, Jesus did what was impossible for man. He fully, righteously, completely was able to fulfill and keep the law. He fully, righteously paid our penalty for our breaking of the law. And so that the way that we have favor with God, the way that we are made right in the sight of God is not through our obedience in keeping the commands but through the obedience of Jesus Christ. Paul go on to remind the believer that they're no longer under the law as a means of justification before God. You see, we can say about the Ten Commandments, it's not by keeping the Ten Commandments or by keeping any of the commandments that God has given that we have right standing in God's presence. You as a believer in Jesus Christ today could break the commandments and yet through Jesus Christ still be forgiven And have a relationship with him. You would still be secure for all of eternity. We are sons and daughters of God. Not because we keep the law. Which is impossible fully. But because of faith in Jesus Christ. Faith through Christ. And again that was the point of the law. To point to our sinfulness. To point to our need for a savior. Again laying this foundation. Paul said in Romans chapter 7. My brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. 
While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. Don't miss this. Under the law, we were held captive. We had no ability. We had no key to unlock the jail cell of the law, which kept us captive because we were incapable of fulfilling or keeping it. And that's what Jesus ended up doing. Paul says in Romans 7, 6, we are now released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. So here's what's important for us to understand as we start this series in the 10 commandments, that although we are no longer under the law, although we are no longer held captive under the law, there is still great significance to it and to obedience to it as a follower of Jesus Christ and following the commands of Christ and the commands of God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If we say that we love God, but we do not do what he says, the word of God tells us we are liars. And so although we are not held captive by the law, we are no longer under the law, we are under grace, there still is a responsibility and privilege on the part of the follower of Christ to be obedient to that which he has commanded. So Jesus helps us out a bit with this because I love what Jesus does then in the New Testament in in the book of Matthew when Jesus is approached by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and a lawyer amongst them is going to ask him a question and they're asking him this for the sake of testing him, the passage says, and they're going to ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in the law? What is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus is going to answer and say, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus is going to make a very bold, significant statement in the New Testament scriptures in the Gospel of Matthew when he is asked, what is the great commandment in the law? Now, Jesus is not telling them this. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. And he says, on these two hang all along the prophets. He's not telling them these two commands to say, hey, keep these two commandments and don't worry about keeping anything else. Jesus shares these two great commandments, the first to love the Lord your God, the second to love your neighbor as yourself, as a summation of the ten. As a summation of all the law and the prophets, Jesus says, is love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. This summarizes not only the ten, but all of the law, all of the prophets can be summarized, can be, can be brought under these two, love God and love others. And so the natural tendency as human beings is to look at that then and say, okay, great, I'm not going to keep anything else. I'm not going to worry about the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to worry about the Old Testament. I'm not going to worry about the other instructions that Jesus gave. All I'm going to worry about is love God and love others. And here's what's great about this. This is what Jesus did in, in simplifying or giving us a summarization, if you will, is that if you and I are guilty of keeping those two, we will equally be found guilty of keeping all of the others. Okay? This is what's so great about it. We, we will be found guilty of keeping all of the rest that God has given to us if we are consistently, daily, regularly keeping those two. Love God and love others. See, the Ten Commandments are broken really up into two different sections, uh, part in relationship to God and part in relationship to others. You're going to see that as we work through it. And so when we look at these commands and we look at the commands that God had given in the Old Testament, 
We cannot truly love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength. We can't truly love him in that way and at the same time put other gods before him. We cannot truly love God with all of our being and at the same time put idols before him. We cannot love God truthfully with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength and at the same time do that, take his name in vain or disregard uh, his commands. We cannot love one another and at the same time commit adultery. We cannot love our neighbor and at the same time steal from them or lie against them or lie to them. We can't do both. And so what Jesus does is Jesus takes something that can be extremely complicating and extremely long and he can take something that is extremely detailed and he brings it into summation by saying, listen, here's what you need to do. Love the Lord your God and love one another. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. And it's so valuable and so necessary. It'd be the same thing as if I told my kids. If I told my kids, I said, hey, you're not permitted right now to go outside of the house. Stay in the house. There's danger on the outside. Stay in the house. And included in that was don't run out into the street. Don't run into the fire that's going outside. Don't do this. Don't do that. Everything outside. Well, the way I can summarize that and cover everything is just to tell them stay in the house. If you stay in the house, you won't be going out in the street. If you stay in the house, you won't touch the fire that's going in the backyard. If you stay in the house, you won't run into the lawnmower that's being run right now. Just stay in the house, and those other things will be happening as well. This is what Jesus is doing. Love the Lord your God, love one another, and in this, hang all the law and the prophets. You understand what he was doing there? He's helping them to understand and realize the priority that is placed upon loving God and loving one Another. Again, this does not mean that we don't need to keep the other commands of God specifically given. It does not mean that we can disregard them. It simply means that if we're truly doing these two, the others will be done as well. So for our series, just to give this all as a foundation and as background, we'll be looking at the Ten Commandments given to Moses, examining these commands, and then giving instruction on how we as believers in Christ should be following through in obedience with these commands. So Exodus chapter 20, that's where we're going to be for this series. I want to read to you through verse 17 of Exodus chapter 20 as we look at this passage together. So follow along with me. Exodus chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You should not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. 
You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. These are the commands that God would give to Moses to give to the nation of Israel. Ten commands that again would be a summation of over 600 commands and specifically ten commands, nine of which are in regards to moral commands in relationship to God and relationship to others. So let's look at these. I believe there's a lot of significance for these, and there's a lot of things that can be gleaned from these in revealing the character of God and revealing the expectation the Lord would have for you and I as his children even today in keeping what would honor him. This first one is the one we're going to start with. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. The second command is you shall not make idols. We'll look at that next week. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Again, that's the only command that is not repeated in the New Testament as something that we need to follow through with. Number five, honor your father and your mother. Number six, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Number ten, you shall not covet. Ten commandments that many people know and some have no clue about. (laughs) Depending on your background, your upbringing, if you grew up in church, maybe this is the first time you've heard all ten together. Uh, If I were to poll the audience earlier, hey, who can list for me all ten commandments in order? Chances are the overwhelming majority in the room would not have been able to do that. Statistically, I can't remember the statistics. Pastor Butch was sharing with me earlier the, the ridiculousness of how many people even that are in the evangelical Christian community that they have no idea what the Ten Commandments are. They know some of them, but don't know all of them. And so this is a refresher for us, but also I believe will be a challenge for us. Now number one, we're going to focus on today, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. This was primary. This was all important. Look at how he begins in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. God spoke all these words, saying, let's begin there. These are coming from Almighty God. It is God that has spoke these words. It's God that was giving these commands. And it says this, I am the Lord your God. God is reminding Moses, and he's reminding the nation of Israel who he is. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It's important that God is introducing these commands in this manner because he's reminding them from the very outset as he gives these commands who it is that's giving them. I am the Lord your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The same God that they knew to be all-powerful. The same God that they knew to be all-present. The same God that they knew to be omniscient. The same God that did what was seemingly the impossible for man. That delivered them out of this great nation of Egypt and the slavery that they were under. That same God that led them by a, a, a pillar of fire and smoke. And the same God that parted the Red Sea. And the same God that brought the plagues upon Egypt. The same God that brought deliverance to them is the same God now that is giving these commands. There is authority given behind these commands. The source of these commands is Almighty God. And that's why you and I as believers would hold the Word of God with such authority because the Word of God reminds us that what this book contains and the writings that are here are not having their origin in man but in God. Holy men of God wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit that the Word of God is inspired of God. It is breathed out by God and so therefore it has authority. And he's setting this up at the very outset. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of 
slavery. When God speaks, they would understand that they needed to listen. When the Almighty God speaks, I hope you and I are of the same mindset. When God speaks, we need to listen. Uh, just a couple of days ago, we were needing to, to leave the house for something in the morning, and it was getting time to go, and one of my daughters was still asleep. She was in her room, sound asleep, and the other girls were up. And my, my girls love when they get to go upstairs and tell their sisters to do something. They love that. And so my one daughter was like, can I go up and tell so-and-so that she needs to get up? And I'll just protect their names so that they don't get embarrassed. Uh, can I go up and tell so-and-so that she needs to get up and it's time to go? I'm like, yeah, go ahead, tell her. It's time to get up. We need to be going and she needs to get out of bed. So my daughter went up there and I'm sure she did it in a very loving, gracious manner. She would not. She went upstairs and I'm sure she was like, you need to get up because we gotta go because that's how they would normally do that. And so I'm doing what I'm doing, and we're getting ready to go. And sure enough, she comes running downstairs. She comes to talk to me. She's like, Dad, I told so-and-so she needed to get up, and she just laid there, and she didn't move, and she didn't get up. And I'm like, tell your sister that Dad said she better get up now because we got to go. And so it's like you just gave the keys to the kingdom, like when you do that with your kids, that she like went up empowered, right? She was, she was up with authority. She like goes run up the stairs and, she's, and you know what the kids do. If you ever hear them when they say, dad said you need to, like they love that. They love it because there's a sense of authority that comes with that. And so she went upstairs and told her sister, dad said you need to get up. And she got up, she got dressed, she was downstairs and we were ready to go. Why? What changed? The authority changed. She's not listening to her sister. Her sister, in her mind, has no authority over her life whatsoever. Anything she could tell, she'd be like, the house is on fire, and you need to get outside. And she'd be like, I don't care, I'm not listening to you. But if it's, hey, dad said the house is on fire, she'll get up and she'll leave, right? But, but there needs to be a sense of authority that is backing whatever is coming, right? We get that, don't we? Depending on the source of who's telling us to do something, we either respond or we don't. Depending on who's telling or commanding us to do something, we either listen or we don't. We weigh out, right? Who is it that tell us? If you ever worked somewhere and you had a, a fellow employee, a coworker that is on equal ground as you, and they tell you you got to do something, you're like, Who? I'm not listening to you. You go do it. But if it's your boss, it's like, okay, well, I'll go do it. Yeah, I'm happy to. Because there's authority behind it. Well, listen, this is why I feel it's so significant how the Ten Commandments were given to Moses. God begins with an understanding that they would have of who he is. I am the Lord your God. And if it's not enough to say that I am the Lord your God, if it's not enough to say that God is saying, he's even going to remind them specifically of who he is and what he's capable of. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. No doubt what would have been brought to the mind of all those that were listening as the commands were given is the significance of the authority and power, and that the God that does the absolutely impossible for man, that God is the one that is now delivering these commands. You see how significant that is? He's reminding the nation of Israel who he is. And he's going to give them some pretty important instruction that's going to follow that because the source, again, the source is Almighty God. And so how does he begin? Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. This was primary. This was all important. Think of the nation of Israel, its kings, its people. When this one was not obeyed, huge problems followed. Just this one. And let's be honest, 
they wouldn't obey it. Not completely, right? We have the Old Testament to read as evidence and proof that even with just number one, there would be failure. They would fall short. When it came to war, when it came to sacrifice, when it came to marriages and alliances with other nations, when it came to allegiance, when it came to confidence, when it came to faith, have no other gods before me. Or another way that can be translated that word before is beside me, which are really no gods at all. But just that primary first one, the nation of Israel would get wrong time and time again. There would be cycles of disobedience. There would be cycles of punishment because of that, just with this first. Have no other gods before me. And you realize this is still the case even today. It still goes on even today, doesn't it? Paul speaks about this in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following. He says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Listen to what he speaks about man. Present tense even man. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him because they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And listen to what he says. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying that man is guilty of knowing that God exists because God is clearly seen in creation. So man's without excuse. But instead of worshiping the almighty creator God who is clearly visible and seen, man is quick to worship the created rather than the creator. And man is guilty. Just the first commandment. Have no other gods besides me. Have no other gods before me. Man is guilty. Just the first. Not 10. Not 613. Just the first. Have no other gods before me. No other gods besides me. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul said, Many of whom I've often told you, and I'll tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. Their God is their belly. Aren't we guilty sometimes as well of not keeping God first? The one that we worship, serve, obey, and follow above all else. We're guilty with just Commandment number one. Do you see why the foundation is so important to understand that the reason the law was given to us to point to the reality that we needed a Savior? It was point to the reality of our own sinfulness and the absolute necessity we had for Jesus. It can be discouraging if we think about the disobedience that is so prevalent oftentimes in our lives. But this is where the encouragement comes into play in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
that every individual walking the face of this earth was incapable of keeping the law. Even the ten. We were incapable of it. And because of that, we all would stand guilty before God deserving of punishment. But then enters Jesus, who lays down his life, who keeps the law perfectly, sacrifices himself for our sin, so that our freedom and justification in the sight of God is not based upon what we do or what we keep, but based upon what he has done, what he has kept. That's the good news. And the Ten Commandments, I believe, magnifies the absolute necessity, again, for you and I to be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ because there is guilt on every human being because of sin, but there's forgiveness through Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the commandments that have been given. Thank you for the Spirit of God that empowers us, enables us to serve you, to obey you, and to live for you. I pray that we would do that. Lord, even with this first command that we would have no other gods before besides you, allow us, Lord, to put all of our energy, effort, time, resources, primarily, first and foremost, into you and your work and your will, because you're deserving of that, and we want to glorify you in that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.